If you are hoping to live more of an adventurous life, you're going to love this episode. Lauren Gay believes adventure is a lifestyle, which just so happens to be the name of her hit travel podcast. Follow Adventure is a Lifestyle wherever you listen to podcasts. And please let Lauren know Danielle from The Thought Card sent you. Lauren Gay is a travel blogger and podcaster empowering Black women through travel and outdoor recreation. Follow Lauren on Instagram at Outdoorsy Diva. Based in Tampa, Florida, Lauren is a longtime advocate for racial diversity and inclusion in outdoor recreation and adventure travel. She is passionate about inspiring Black women to step out of their comfort zones and use nature as healing and therapy. As a single mom, while she didn't always have the means to venture far, she always managed to create memories and adventure with her son. In this episode, we talk about how to enjoy the outdoors throughout the year and how outdoorsy can look different than what we think or see in most travel campaigns. And I'm throwing a little shade over here. (laughs) But seriously, on a serious note, though, adventure doesn't have to be rugged. It doesn't have to involve scaling Mount Everest, skiing, or deep sea diving with sharks. The great outdoors can be welcoming to all. Stick around until the end of the episode because we also chat about how the pandemic has given us this chance to rediscover the beauty of the United States and also the difference between camping, glamping, and champing. Lauren Gay is also one of the founding members of Black Travel Alliance, an organization on a mission to support Black content creators and increase the representation in the travel industry. If you want to learn more, go back and listen to episode 61 to learn about the challenges Black travel creators face and how BTA is promoting diversity in travel marketing. Today's podcast partner is Get Outdoors 101, a self-paced course by Olivia Christine designed to help you learn how to plan outdoor trips with confidence so you can have memorable experiences, unplug, and de-stress. Now, you might not know this, but I've never been camping before. And 2023 is my year to venture out and go camping for the first time, like overnight, (laughs) and do overnight hikes. There's just so much to see. And I feel like if I felt more comfortable with camping and some of these more adventurous outdoor activities, I feel like I would be able to see more and do more. And also now that I have baby K, like it would just be great to introduce him to all these things that I didn't necessarily have growing up. So I'm planning my first camping trip this year, which I will definitely be sharing on the podcast. I was like really nervous, but still curious and felt like I really needed some guidance in this department. So Get Outdoors 101 has been really helpful. Through this course, I'm learning how to find accessible adventures, hiking and camping safety tips, and really getting clear on the planning process so that we can actually go this year. Not talking about going, but actually go. 
So yeah, big things are happening and Get Outdoors 101 is helping me to get there. You can access the course at thoughtcard.com slash outdoors 101. That's thoughtcard.com slash outdoors 101. Or simply just visit the link in the show notes and you can be able to check out that course. Welcome to the Thought Card, a podcast about travel and money, where planning, saving, and creativity leads to affording travel, building wealth, and paying off debt. We are the Financially Savvy Travelers. I will not even discuss camping before September. Like, don't talk to me about doing, no. And even my hikes and everything, like I'm up early, I'm up with the sun, I'm done before noon because it's just too hot down here. But fall is perfect for like hiking, getting out to these state parks and these national parks. Your leaves are going to be changing for you lucky ducks that live with the true fall. You know, I have to drive a few hours north to get some fall foliage, but it's the perfect time for that. If you live anywhere where you can drive to like an apple orchard to do apple picking, it's the time for that. The pumpkin patches are out. The corn mazes are springing up. All those are outdoor activities. You know, people kind of tend to box in what outdoorsy looks like. And I don't subscribe to that. It's outside. It's outdoorsy. It's still a form of nature. You know, it's just a different way to take it in. So it's a great time to do those kinds of things. It's a great time to try camping or glamping. You know, because it's not so hot. Like you don't have to contend with the same kind of bugs and mosquitoes. Like things are getting more dormant. So yeah, fall is where it's at. Like get out there and see some stuff while it's nice and cool and you have this good weather. And the fall foliage is amazing. I live in Connecticut, so it's like, I cannot wait for the bursting colors. So road trips are going to be very, very popular for the fall. So how about spring? So after fall, no, before spring is winter. So how about winter? (laughs) What are your recommendations for winter? So for winter, me living in Florida, so I'm biased because I don't really have a winter. (laughs) Not a true winter. I'm fortunate in that I can pretty much do everything in the winter, right? But you can still hike in the winter. You just have to have on your base layer, be prepared for it. And the best part is to see a waterfall frozen. Like that's a beautiful thing. I think the winter is absolutely gorgeous. So you can still get outside and do some winter hikes. If you brave enough to ski or to snowboard, try it. Try it for the first time. Hit the bunny slopes. You know, if it's something you haven't done before, but why not go ahead and give that a try for the winter? I met Nyla from Color Outside. She's out in Utah. She hit me to snowshoeing. So now that's on my bucket list because I haven't done it. But she was like, yeah, just walking around in the snow and your snowshoes, it's amazing. So it made me want to try it. And then like Brown Girl Outdoor World, they do ice fishing. So if you're way up north and you get those frozen lakes, See if you can find an outfitter that'll take you ice fishing for the first time. I love that. I want to circle back to the outdoor layers. Do you have any recommendations for like what we should be wearing if we do want to go hiking or if we do want to spend some time outdoors in the winter? Yeah, in the winter, that base layer is going to be super duper important. So if you look up thermal layers or things like that, which if you live up north, 
you probably already have that stuff. But for people, especially like me, who, you know, we don't need that stuff. I have to really stress that and like send them links of like, this is what you need. It says like it is a thermal base layer. You want it to be dry wicking so that it's not going to hold, keep that moisture. It's going to pull that moisture away from your body so that you don't get sick. That's really the most important part is layers. So you layer up. I have an all weather jacket. It's really not that thick, but it does what it's supposed to do, especially, you know, when there's wind, you know, you cover your head, you want to have good wool socks. That's really important to keep your feet nice and dry. Same with your shoes. You want to have boots that are going to keep your feet dry and have grip. If you're an up north person, you probably already have that stuff. If you're a down south girl, down south guy like me, you're going to have to order those things. More than likely, you won't find them in stock in your store. Even our outdoor stores like carry only a little bit of that stuff within the actual physical store. But those are the most important things is that base layer, good, good wool socks, something to cover your head. And then you want to dress in layers because believe it or not, you'll still sweat and get hot, especially if you're being active while you're out there. A lot of the ladies on the trip were like coming out of those big bubble jackets. I'm like, I told y'all, y'all didn't need all of that. (laughs) That is hilarious. That sounds like something like I would do. I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm so hot now. (laughs) One of them was, she was so cute. She looked like a little abominable snowman. But yeah, she was out of that big coat well into maybe like an hour into the hike. She's like, I'm hot. Yeah, like, yeah, we told you, you didn't need all that. (laughs) That is fantastic. Fantastic. All right, so we're moving on to springtime. So after winter, what are the things that we can plan for for spring? Yay, spring's my favorite. That's because... You still have the cooler temperatures, but you can also start to get into those water activities. I'm a water baby. That's my happy place. That's my reset. So the waterfalls when you get to spring are usually magnificent because you're going to have all that melted snow is starting to come down and run off into those rivers and those lakes and tributaries that feed the rivers and the waterfalls. So spring is magnificent for that. I love flowers. So I love the color and everything, you know, where you have the meadows. This is when you can do the lavender fields and the tulip fields and all that kind of stuff is starting to bloom in the spring. If you suffer from allergies like me, you know, just take your allergy pill, your nasal spray with you because that's what I have to do because the spring is not kind to me in that regard. But I do it anyway because I want to see it. You'll also start to get the sunflowers towards the end of spring before that cusp of summer. So you'll have those sunflower fields are going to start to pop up. So spring is amazing for that. That's a great time to try like kayaking or stand up paddle boarding. It's a great time to do tubing, rafting on the rivers in different places. And that's like Whatever region of the country you're in, all of those activities exist, even down in the South. You know, we have tubing in Florida. You can do tubing in Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee. So don't think just because you're not where there's mountains, you can't do rafting because there's rafting in Tennessee, in Kentucky, in northern Georgia. So all of those things are accessible to you. So spring is the perfect time to try some of those. The reawakening, the awakening. So I do love spring. I think fall is my favorite. I'm also a Virgo, so I'm born in the fall. But spring is like a close second for me. So I definitely love spring. So last but not least, summer. What are your recommendations for summer? 
So summer is going to be, that's definitely the time to do all the water stuff. Like do the water stuff, hit the beaches, you know, hit the springs, hit the rivers, all of those kinds of things are great in the summer. I personally don't hike as much in the summer just because it's so hot, but it is a good time to go see places that you normally really wouldn't enjoy. Like if you don't like the cold, then you need to plan some stuff up north, you know, do some up north road trips where it's going to be milder. You know, they're not going to have a crazy, brutal summer. You know, it'll probably be more palpable to you during that time of year. Like if you don't like the heat, this is not the time you want to do that Sedona trip. You know, that's something you want to do in like fall, you know, when it's a little cooler. But in the summer is a great time for places like Colorado, for Northern California, for even like Ohio. People sleep on Ohio. Y'all, Ohio has islands in the Great Lakes and they are amazing. They have like crystal caves on them. They have glacier grooves and dinosaur fossils that you can explore. They have wineries and they're islands. You can catch a ferry in Ohio, but you can only do that stuff in the summer, like for late spring into the summer. It's the only time it's open, you know? So you want to hit those places where they may not be as accessible or as fun when it's not warm because they get so much snow and things like that. So summer's where it's at for the water. Well, I mean, this is just for me inspiring because I'm like listening to all the activities and thinking about like, gosh, I didn't do anything this summer. (laughs) I didn't do enough and summer is almost done. So this is truly inspiring. And I think this also makes me realize like, I think for me as a traveler, I'm always looking externally like abroad. I'm always like, let me go abroad and see, go to Italy, go to Greece, go to fill in the blank there. But what are your thoughts on like exploring the US? How has the US impacted your travels? Are you excited about seeing the US and even your home state of Florida right now? I'm in Connecticut. So your home state of Florida, are you excited about traveling in the US? I am. I think that's a lot of us, right? Where that's our first notion is, you know, we want to go because I love international travel. Love it. Absolutely love it. But we didn't really have much choice. But I think what's different for me is because I was, I'm a single mom, you know, my son's 20 now. So I'm a new empty nester, which is why I'm totally bummed that COVID took away all my international travels this year. This was my year. Like I was getting it in y'all. I had Japan and Banff National Park and Italy. And I was going to get to Africa for New Year's Eve. Like I had big international plans this year and I had to cancel them. So I think it wasn't as much of a shock for me because I knew how beautiful our country is because I am huge on domestic travel too. And that was just because it was more affordable and accessible, you know, with my son. So I think it's great to see people finally realize, oh, I can see things right here in my own backyard. Our national park system is amazing. It it is beautiful. Like it's a travesty not to see a place like Yellowstone, Glacier, Yosemite, the Smoky Mountains, you know, before you die. Honestly, like they are beautiful, magnificent places that should be seen and appreciated. Even Florida, like our springs here, I'm telling you, these pictures, when you see them, like people, when I post them on Instagram, they're like, where are you? You look like you're in the tropics. Nope. 
I'm in the middle of Florida, like in a forest, but this is what this water looks like. So I love seeing people kind of rediscover or discover for the first time the beauty we have. I mean, a lot of people don't even know we have waterfalls aside from your Niagara parts. Yeah. Like, like I just named, like, of course, people know Yellowstone. They know the Smokies. They know Niagara, right? But they don't realize literally look up a state. There's waterfalls in it. Like even Alabama has waterfalls. Georgia has waterfalls. You know, Tennessee. Like I just learned about an 18 waterfall loop in Pennsylvania. Then now I'm like dying to get to this fall. I'm trying to figure that out. Because I'm like, I got to see this. So people, I think, are like just realizing how beautiful our country really is and take advantage of it. And specifically, you know, more Black people, which I love to see us discovering these things that we didn't necessarily grow up doing, but now we're like getting into it and we're seeing that, okay, this is a thing. And no, maybe I can't go to Dubai this year or Egypt, but there are some really cool places I can go and you can still get these gram-worthy pictures. <laughs> and gram-worthy experiences as well. So yes, that is incredible. So I'm sure that the listeners here today are thinking, how about if like I don't have anyone to go with me on the next adventure that I plan? Do you have any advice or tips for those who are going to be exploring solo or those who are thinking about that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I do a lot of my stuff solo, especially now that, you know, my son's a college kid now. I do a lot of things by myself. So that's okay. It's actually a good time to get to know you. Like you're actually a lot braver than you think you are. It's really not that scary. Like you plan and you mitigate your risk, right? So simple things, making sure somebody knows where you are. You share your itinerary with people. I have like a Google Drive with my important information and those dedicated people, my mom and my two besties have access to. So they always can get to it. They always know where I am. Things like a day hike. If you're just doing a day hike, you still want to let somebody know where you're going, how long you think you're going to be gone. Just basic safety stuff. You know, be prepared. Have a way to protect yourself, whether that's a pocket knife, a taser, mace firearm, whatever your jam, just know the law where you are and be within the bounds of the law, but protect yourself. You know, don't be a a sitting duck, but don't go into expecting the worst. Like expect the best. Think what is the best thing that could happen to me? And then that's what it's going to be. So if you're traveling solo, you just have to do a bit more planning. I think you just have to do a little bit more to make sure you've mitigated what those risks could be. It's what I tell people for solo travel too. You know, you don't want to look like a tourist. So you just look like you know what you're doing. You know, don't pull over somewhere, go somewhere where you can sit down and look at your map and be at peace. If it's at a rest area or a gas station, don't stand outside your car with your map up looking like you're lost. You know, make smart decisions. If you engage with strangers, that's fine, but you don't let people know you're by yourself. You know, make people think you're expecting, someone's expecting me. You know, I'm going to meet so-and-so because they may see you in your car by yourself, but don't let them think that nobody knows about you or cares about you or where you're going. So you just take basic safety precautions, but you can do it. It's worth it because the worst thing would be to miss an experience. 
because you were waiting on other people because you were waiting on another time. And if we've learned nothing else in this time period is that time does not wait for anyone. You don't know what could happen, what could change with the end of another shutdown. You could not be here. So don't let not having people to go with you be the deterrent. And then there's so many groups now that put on activities. So, you know, if you're not comfortable yet being by yourself, find a group, you know, find a group activity that's doing these kinds of things because they're everywhere. Facebook, Meetup, it's a great place to find groups doing these kinds of activities if that's what you want to do. You know, so that's okay too. Find a group. But I promise when you go, and start small. You know, don't feel like you got to do this whole epic thing. Just do one little thing, one little activity for the day. But when you start sharing it and you're telling people and they see your pictures, trust me, at least one friend is going to be like, I want to go. Why are you telling me you were going? I want to go. You know, that's all it takes sometimes is for people to see you doing it. Because that's how I got started, honestly. It was me doing my thing and other people saying, well, I didn't know we had that. Where is that? <laughs> Exactly. And I think now you'll be surprised by how many people are on board to do more local travel because they realize like, wow, like you mentioned, things are so uncertain. You don't know tomorrow what's going to happen. So seizing opportunities to have a good time, go on an adventure. Hey, I'm all for it. So I love that. Now on the opposite spectrum, I know that you also have plans group outings. So for someone who is like, has a group, do you have any recommendations or tips for how do you navigate like all these personalities and all these travel preferences to do a successful group outing where everyone is like happy at the end of the day? I'm still learning. So I have a local group, right, that I've had for some years and we had been doing some local activities. That's a lot easier, I think, to navigate just because it's local. It's really set like this is what we're doing. We're, we're going tubing or we're going kayaking. They know what they're getting into. And it's just for a portion of the day, right? So I think that's pretty easy to navigate. But a group group trip. So the February trip was actually the launch. That was the first group trip. And then COVID happened. But The biggest thing is managing expectations. I think just being very transparent and upfront about what to expect. So like for the hike, I made it very clear, like I'm not trying to kill you. This is the length of the hike. You know, you can do it. You need to start practicing now. If you never go for walks, maybe try to do a mile a day. Start to build up your stamina, get up to two miles. You know, we're going to do a hike. We can take breaks. It's okay. It's not going to be hard. So you just want to like set people's expectations, you know, reassure them, be very detailed about your itinerary and their plans so that they are very clear about what's expected. You know, you want to make sure that you as the group leader have mitigated whatever risk there could be that you thought about. You know, of course, now, post-COVID, I was on the Adventure Travel Trade Association Summit on yesterday. And so that was a huge topic because now all the language in your documentation for your release forms now has to be changed and updated. So you want to make sure you have somebody, your lawyer, whoever, look at those things for you to make sure that you're covered and that your attendees are covered and that everything is understood just on what your policy is. If your policy is 
no refunds, then there's no refunds, but you just want to make sure it's clear if you have the flexibility to do that, then you just want to make sure you thought through what that looks like. Because right before it was, well, nobody ever planned for a global pandemic. Well, now you got to plan for a global pandemic and aliens and fire tornadoes and whatever other crazy news we've seen, right? You got to plan for like any and everything that could happen. So you just have to be a little more diligent from a legal aspect about making sure you're covered and then communicating what that looks like and having backup plans. Like super, super important to have backup plans and contingency plans for people And then as far as just the navigating the personalities, I think it's good if you have a group forum ahead of time. So like the trips that I do that are the local stuff, it's a Facebook group. So they interact and you see those personalities. Whereas the other trip, none of them had ever, you know, two of them knew each other. The rest of them were all new people. And so we were just very fortunate that it was a group that clicked because it was my beta trip. I wanted it small. But I was fortunate and we didn't have any of that. But I think it would have been managed okay. I think it's just, you have an itinerary, you have things that are fun, but you also allow people to have freedom to kind of do whatever they need to do. Some people need alone time to reset. So you don't like micromanage people down to the second of their time. Give people time to have that time to themselves because that might be all they need you know, to keep them from having an attitude and don't let people get hangry either. Like make sure people know like when they'll be able to eat and have snacks for people, even on my day trips, you know, you tell people, hey, bring you some snacks so nobody's hangry. These are awesome, awesome, (laughs) awesome tips and things to consider from an expert. So I absolutely love it. Lauren, I know that you are a fan of glamping more than camping. So can you walk us through the difference between (laughs) camping and glamping and why you prefer glamping? Absolutely. So for those that are not familiar, glamping is glamorous camping. And my name is self-evident into why I prefer glamping. That's that diva side. This is when that diva part comes out. So to me, the major difference between glamping and camping. So They're both in nature, right? They're both allow you to be within some kind of nature setting. But glamping, you have a structure. Like it's not just a pop-up tent. So you have a structure of some kind. You have a real floor, even if it's carpeted with a rug or if it's wooden floor, but you have a floor. The biggest thing is electricity, whether it is through a generator or whatever they have to do, I don't care. If there's no electricity, it is not glamping. Do not call it glamping. It may be softer camping, but it's not glamping. Like glamping for me, you have electricity. You may not have running water, but you do have electricity. But a lot of the places I've stayed at where glamping did have running water as well. And then a bed and no sleeping bag. (laughs) If you're glamping... You're in a bed. It can be an air mattress, but it's a bed. A real comfy plush bed with linens and pillows and throws on it. Like that is glamping. The ultimate glamping is going to have, you know, lanterns and fairy lights and decor. And it's going to have that feel. You're going to have some touch of luxe. Like 
I glimpsed at this ranch in Utah and they had fur electric blankets for when it got cold at night. I was like, yes, that's what I'm talking about. I had a fire valet. I didn't even have to light my own fire pit. So they would come around and light your fire for you every night. And it came with a s'mores kit. So like I had a bathroom. So it was a luxury like safari style tent. And I had a bathroom in my tent with a tub and a shower. You know, like that's for real uber luxury glamping. But Glamping can be like the safari tents that you see. It could be a yurt. And a lot of state parks actually have yurts. I know up your way, there's quite a few places with yurts. Yurts are actually pretty cool. They may not be as fancy, but they will have the basic elements. So the the main thing, you're not out in the elements. You're not going to feel like you're outside. You're not going to feel like a little raccoon is scratching at your tent. Like, <laughs> you know, it, it just, you don't feel a little more safe. And even if you do kind of self-glamping, right, and you're in a an RV or like a pop-up camper or something like that, you can still make it glamping. Like instead of using just that plain Hershey's chocolate for your s'mores, use Godiva, use a Reese's, use something snazzy. You know, they have flavored marshmallows, you know, make hot chocolate and bring you some Baileys or something to put in it. Like just elements to make it nice and have creature comforts like that's glamping to me that sounds like something i would be on board i've been looking at airbnb and i did see the yurts i'm like what's this scroll past so now i'm gonna actually take some time (laughs) if if you're looking so airbnb is gonna have glamping spots but also like glamping hub is huge for finding cool glamping places also, glamping.com has cool glamping places. Look up unique accommodations because it might not necessarily say glampings, but like we stayed in these really cool converted containers, like the shipping containers, but they converted them into like little cabins in Texas in Hill Country. But it was glamping because of the way they're set up. You had like this little community of all these different shipping containers and and fire pits and all that kind of stuff. So glamping can have a little unique take on it. Even like Banning Mills is a treehouse resort in Georgia. Like you had to walk on a suspension bridge to get to your treehouse. I'm in a two-story treehouse with a hot tub. Like you can glamp like as fancy as you want to get. They have it. And then as basic as you want to get, they have those two but Glamping Hub and Glamping.com, also The Dirt, all of those are pretty good resources if you're looking for glamping style accommodations. But also don't sleep on your state parks. Go to your state park website and look and see what kind of camping and cabin accommodations they have because they might have cabins and they might have yurts. And like Georgia has tons of yurts and like I stayed in one is on a peninsula like an island out on a lake each yurt had its own little area it came with a kayak it came with all these amenities that was really cool and then you have there's another park called Unicoi they're called like a squirrel house it's kind of like a tree house that's up in the forest but it's like a cabin so look at your state park websites and just see what they offer because you might be surprised what you find Hey, and this is an excellent conversation because like I said before, I saw yurts today and I just like, I don't know what that is. So X, but now, now the sky's the limit for the opportunities. 
I like to say a yurt is like a tent in a cabin had a baby. And so they're there from the Mongolian yurts that you'll see if you see like from Nepal and Mongolia, from that Eastern Asian area. Historically, they had those. They look like a tent, but it's triangle at the top. That's the traditional yurt. And then, of course, you know, we have modernized it to have them here. But they're a really cool I think you should do it. You should. Do I will. It. You know, you've you convinced look. me. You've convinced there, there's me. There's some really, really nice ones out there. The one we stayed at had a skylight at the top, which was cool because you could see the night sky at night. And I had a sink and running water and a bed and furniture and all that stuff. Like it was pretty neat. So that's a neat way to just see nature because you'll really be in nature versus traveling to nature. It's something to be said about waking up and walking out of your door and you don't hear anything, but like literally birds and bees and insects in that cool morning air. Like this is a different feeling than when you drive to a park versus when you stay there. Excellent. Yeah, that's inspiring. And listen, I I got vacation days, so I'm excited. I am so excited. And this also reminds me of this term. I'm not sure if you know about this, Lauren, but it's called champing. So in the UK, you can actually stay at a very old church. So, you know, there's camping, there's glamping, and there's champing. So C-H-A-M-P-I-N-G. And I discovered this years ago when I was visiting the UK and I actually tried to stay in one. And it was an old stone church, ancient church with a little cemetery in, in the side of it. And the person I was like traveling with was so freaked out that they said no. So I almost had my opportunity to do something like super cool. But yes, there is, if you go to champing.uk, I believe that's the website. And guess what, guys? I'll have all the links for you guys in the show notes. So all the links Lauren mentioned, but also the champing, it's champing.co.uk. You'll be able to check that out and see if you want to go, you know, explore and sleep at a church. So you have just added something else <laughs> to my bucket list. Cause no, I did not know about champing. I probably will be freaked out, but I will do it anyway. Like that's the difference. People think I don't get scared. I do all the time. But I still do it anyway. I just make it happen. So champing is added to my list. I tried to stay in a lighthouse in the Azores and I just didn't have enough time, but I still want to do that. I want to stay in a lighthouse. I want to stay in a windmill too. (laughs) That's incredible. Now talking about like your travel wish list, do you have like a document or someplace that you're keeping track of all the things that you see that you want to do? Or do you just kind of remember what you want to do and you kind of go after it? You know what? Kind of. So I have two bucket lists. I'm a Christmas nerd. Christmas is my favorite holiday. So I actually have a whole blog post about my Christmas bucket list of Christmas experiences around the world that I want to have. And I keep it up to date and I check them off as I get them done, right? But the rest of the things I really want to try, they're in Pinterest. I love Pinterest. I'm a huge Pinterest component as a means of getting traffic to my site, actually. But I plan my trip. That is where my trips are birthed. They are birthed in Pinterest on a secret board. And I just start finding stuff and I'm looking at stuff and I'm pinning it. Now that we have the collections and Instagram, that's probably my third list. 
So I have a list of like must do that I add things to for that. But even that eventually they end up in Pinterest so that I can really plan it out logistically and figure out, okay, like how can I make this happen? But yeah, I have quite an extensive list at the top of that list is doing the Christmas markets and staying in those igloos over there in Finland. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, And to be honest, like I use Pinterest to plan my travels as well. So that is a pro tip. Like Pinterest is a visual search engine. So you can type in things to do in XYZ destination and you will find inspiration. And it's visual. So you could always remember what exactly that was. So that is amazing. Lauren, you dropped so many incredible gems, so inspiring, especially during this time. Like, I know it looks all bleak and like, you know, we're like, what's going on? But you were such a joy and just a bright light. So I'm super excited to have you here on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Danielle. Danielle has been instrumental in helping me to grow as a podcaster. So really happy and honored to be here today. Thank you, Lauren. I will see you guys in the next episode of the Thought Card Podcast. Bye.